Welcome to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, Season 1, Episode 5. With Citizenship and Immigration Canada making it increasingly difficult to speak to an officer, there are a few places to turn for information that can be relied upon. The Canadian Immigration Podcast was created to fill this void by offering the latest information on Canadian law, policy, and practice. Please welcome ex-immigration officer and Canadian immigration lawyer, Mark Holthy. As he answers a wide variety of immigration questions and shares practical tips and guidance to help you along your way. Well, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Canadian Immigration Podcast. I am delighted that you're here listening uh, to this podcast. I'm going to try to move away from my traditional scripting. So in the first podcast, I was really nervous. I didn't want to make any mistakes. I wanted to make sure that everything was nice and concise and that I didn't end up blithering on about a whole bunch of things that were... uh, just going to, you know, take away from what I was trying to do with these podcasts. But the more I've thought about it, you know, the more authentic I can make it, the better. So I've got an outline of what I want to talk about today. Um, This beautiful um, 8th of October. I love the month of October. One, it's my birthday. At least October the 1st is my birthday. So it's my birthday month. And it's also my youngest daughter's uh, birthday month. So on the 6th, she turned 10. And just got herself a hamster. I don't know if any of you have children that have uh, have gone to the pet store and done all the research and purchased a hamster, but we are now a family with a hamster. Anyways, a little tangent drifting off, but I love the month. I love the way the, the seasons change. All of the trees here in beautiful Lethbridge, Alberta are starting to turn. The leaves are just beautiful orange and red and yellow and and I must admit, it's probably one of my favorite times of the year. I'm not a kind of person that really likes things too hot. I like it to be just cool and mild, but uh, you know, it's not quite the freezing zone when the snow comes and the temperature really dips uh, into freezing. So it's just a wonderful time of year. And uh, what better time than to release this um, Season 1, Episode 5 of the Canadian Immigration Podcast. Um I want to apologize, like I said before, for not doing it sooner, uh, for not releasing the podcast, for taking so long to do it. Um, on the first, um, <clears throat> excuse me, on the twenty fourth of uh, of September was the last one that we did, and that was really just a reproduction of our presentation that Billy and I gave to the Human Resource Institute of Alberta here in Lethbridge, uh, an immigration presentation. So if you want to go back and check that out. It's loaded with a lot of different things related to um, uh, just the foreign worker program, kind of why we're at the situation we are now, the overhaul to the program, you know, a lot of the factors that led to the government deciding that they wanted to make changes and instill this, you know, stronger enforcement regime. And uh, in the future, I'll touch on some other areas related to the new monetary penalty system that's coming out. And with that being said... Um, uh, later this month, I will be speaking um, at the Canadian Institute's conference in Calgary, and there'll be some information on that in the show notes, uh, specifically on employer compliance and this new monetary penalty regime. And these penalties are pretty crazy. You know, uh, if you're a small mom and pop shop, you know, the penalties can be at, on the low end, $500 fines, 
all the way up to a million bucks. So you can imagine if you are a huge company, an oil and gas company like Suncor or Imperial or one of these companies, and and you've got a mild infraction that, that has occurred, um, a $500 fine is probably not going to do much for you. But boy, I'll tell you, if you're looking at hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in fines for any uh, any matters or, or circumstances of non-compliance uh, with the Temporary Foreign Worker prog- Program rules, you can t- you can see that that's really going to sting. So within the uh, my, my law firm, I'm going to be focusing a little bit more on assisting companies uh, in navigating this uh, new crazy world that uh, Citizenship and Immigration Canada has released. But that is another tangent that I'm going to try and drift, uh, try and get the, the conversation drifted back to the real purpose behind this podcast. And uh, this episode is my top five, and I love top fives, my top five reasons you um, are being deemed ineligible when you complete the Come to Canada assessment tool. Now, what is this Come to Canada assessment tool? If you want to apply for express entry, you first must go through uh, this assessment tool to determine if you meet the requirements uh, to submit your profile. And uh, there are a few things that keep surfacing over and over and over again with people um, that I notice uh, that cause them to be tripped up. Sometimes, you know, they've made little mistakes. Other times, they truly don't qualify and, and are frustrated and don't understand why not. So let me just hit on these really quick. I've got five general categories that I'm going to expand on. But the first one is that you do not have a valid language test. So language tests accepted by Citizenship and Immigration Canada include those uh, from the IELTS or the CELPIP organizations. So whichever those uh, sources that you use to have your English language tested, it doesn't matter. But those test results are only valid for two years. So when you're completing this Come to Canada tool, and I'll have a link to it within the show notes. So if you want to apply for express entry, this is the very first step. Um, Within the show notes, I'll provide that link. So as you're completing this uh, pre-assessment or pre-qualification tool that Citizenship and Immigration Canada has on their website, um, if your language test is over two years old, then that's why you're going to get bounced. You're going to be found to be ineligible quite quickly. Uh, another reason within the language testing component is that your score is too low. And I will get into that a little bit later as we talk about the qualifications um, and the uh, the requirements to enter into uh, express entry through the various programs that are out there. But you must meet those minimum requirements. And so as a general rule, if you are applying from overseas and you do not have a job offer in Canada and you have no other connection then your, your Canadian language benchmark score has to be a level 7. And the only program that you're really going to be able to qualify through is the Federal Skilled Worker Program. However, I will indicate that um, the Federal Skilled Trade Program is also potential for you if you have experience in one of those trades. And if that's the case, then the language scores are lower. For speaking and listening, it's a CLB 5, and for reading and writing, a CLB 4. So the options that you have for express entry... Um, the the actual economic programs are the Canadian Experience Class, the Federal Skilled Worker Program, and the Federal Skilled Trade Program. And so, right off the bat, if your English scores are below 
a seven if you're applying you know independently from abroad under the federal skilled worker program or if you have canadian work experience if your scores are below a five if your experience is in a skill level b which is a trade and technical level position if that's where your experience lies then you only need to meet a, a clb5 but if you're a professional or in a management type position then your CLB, your Canadian Language Benchmark, has to be a level 7, just like the Federal Skilled Worker Program for those who are not living in Canada and don't have Canadian work experience. So right off the bat, number one, it's if you're ineligible, check to see if there's a problem with your language test. So um, now uh, I also want to um, move forward and identify the fact that when you're completing the assessment tool, Read carefully because it's asking for you to input the actual scores you got in the test and not the conversion to the CLB. So it does that conversion process itself. So if you're punching in what you converted your scores to, um, uh, that's wrong. Uh, probably it's not going to impact things when it comes to being found eligible, but just pay attention because you're, you're to insert the actual scores from your test and not the CLB conversion totals. All right. Now, um, the next thing, you don't have enough skilled work experience. So this is number two. So if you've submitted, um, you know, you're, you've started down the, the road of completing this assessment tool and you do not have skilled work experience that's in a skill level B, A, or O on the National Occupational Classification System, and we're always dealing with the 2011 one, if you don't have at least one year of continuous paid full-time or equivalent um, work experience, then it, and I should add also in only one occupation, then you're not even going to get through the door. So if you don't have that one year of skilled work experience and you can't accumulate it in multiple positions, it can only be in one. And that's a whole different discussion, and I probably should write a blog on that. Um, but just understand that you need at least one year of continuous paid full-time or equivalent amount in part-time uh, in only one occupation. If you've got that, then that's thumbs up. You can uh, advance to the next stage. Okay, so language problem with your language test, number one. Number two, you don't have the proper skilled work experience. Number three you don't have enough funds. So it does ask, as you're going through the process, if you do not have a job offer, so that's basically an offer of full-time employment, a permanent full-time employment, supported by a labor market impact assessment from a company. So it has to be an LMIA-supported job offer. If you have that, then you can be exempted from the uh, need for settlement funds. But sometimes this come to Canada tool just isn't very smart. So you have to, uh, invariably, you have to put some funds in there. And so uh, when it comes to those of you who do not have a connection with Canada and are applying independently, that's when a whole bunch more questions start to pop up that maybe those who have Canadian work experience don't see. And that's because they're now starting to assess you under the Federal Skilled Worker Program. And I'll get into the main requirements for each of those. But ultimately, if you do not have enough funds, you don't qualify. So what are sufficient funds? Well, I'll provide a link in the show notes to the LICO tables, the low-income cutoff tables that CIC uses. 
And depending upon the number of people in your family, you'll require more money to settle and establish yourself. And so you ask, well, why does someone who lives abroad, who's applying under the Federal Skilled Worker Program, why do they need settlement funds? You know, and why are people with job offers exempt? Well, I think if you look at it intuitively, if you're coming from a different country and you don't have enough money to, to get yourself settled, it'll take time to find a job if you don't have an employer. They want to make sure that you have enough funds to get yourself established and get your feet underneath you in this new, beautiful country of Canada um, versus having you come and, and immediately have to seek assistance from, you know, from um, seek social assistance or welfare to, to keep you going. Um, so they've instituted this rule. Uh, so you can look at the tables. I won't go into those in detail, but that's another factor. You don't have enough funds. And that kind of trips some people up because they don't realize it. They'll put in a figure that's maybe too low, and then ultimately when they're answering the questions, it, it'll say that they're ineligible, and they can't figure out, well, why? I've got the experience. I have the language uh, levels that are that are necessary, but the funds can trip you up. So that's number three. Okay, now four, which kind of encompasses the previous ones a little bit, but it's also, you know, it's just as important. Number four, you don't meet the minimum qualifications for at least one of those programs. So if it's the Canadian Experience class, you need to show that you have at least one year of skilled work experience in Canada. Um, and you have to show that you meet, if, if your work experience is at a, a skill level B, so that's a trade level or technical level. You have to show that your English is at a CLB five, and uh, if your skill, uh, your skilled work experience is at a, a knock A or O, skill level A for professionals or O for managerial, then in that case, you actually have to show that you've got a, a level seven, which we talked about before. So that's CEC, just those two things. Really easy, really simple to qualify. There's no, it's not complicated. Um, real simple assessment. If you got Canadian work experience and you meet these requirements, then wow, you're laughing. You're in great shape. Um, those of you who don't have the same connections um, then have to look at the Federal Skilled Worker Program. And right off the bat, you need to be able to show that you can meet that, that pass mark for the Federal Skilled Worker Program. Now, this is not to be confused with the comprehensive ranking system and the score you get when you enter your profile into the express entry pool and you're you're compared against all of those other candidates so that whole that whole ranking system is different you get to that in the second stage but the first stage is you have to show that you qualify for one of these economic programs so if you don't have any canadian work experience then you have to look at the federal skilled worker program so 67 points is what they look at and so it's broken down into six different categories um, English or French language skills, you can get 28 points for that. And let me just qualify that the Federal Skilled Worker Program has a pass mark of 67 points out of a total 100. So you can score those points, a maximum of 28 points for English uh, or French skills, um, education, a maximum of 25 points, work experience, 15, your age, 12 points, Arranged employment in Canada, 10 points. And this arranged employment is and can be just a little bit different because um, qualifying for arranged employment, depending on the category that you're applying under, uh, it, it varies. But if you have an LMIA-supported work permit, you know for sure that that arranged employment works. 
um, I will provide a link in the show notes to the six selection factors for federal skilled workers. And you can click on it and you can see and, and actually assess your qualifications independently before you start down this road of, of completing the Come to Canada assessment tool. So arranged employment is the fifth selection factor and the sixth is adaptability. And that's a combination of factors just to, to show um, uh, whether you have certain um, circumstances in your own life w- that would suggest that you're more likely to be able to uh, settle in Canada and adapt to to life here and to have the supports that you need. And you're just going to have a greater chance of success in Canada. And so those adaptability factors are something that are, are, are often examined and looked at. Um, but once again, I'm not going to go into detail with all of that. You can go to the, the CIC website at the link that I'll give and assess that yourself. The third program is the Federal Skilled Trade Program. And as I indicated before, the language standards are a little bit lower. So speaking and listening, you just need a CLB-5. Reading and writing, a CLB-4. And uh, when it comes to trade-level uh, trade positions, uh, the key already off the bat is that you will be working in one of those occupations um, uh, for at least two years within the previous five-year um, the five-year window immediately prior to you filing. So you need at least two years of experience in the trades and you need to have a full-time offer of employment from a Canadian employer, which is supported by a labor market impact assessment or a certificate of qualification from a province or territory, a red seal, which is often uh, those individuals who are already here working in Canada who have gone through the process and had their trade um, certification abroad uh, assessed and were able to come to Canada and complete whatever practical examinations or written examinations to to actually obtain their red seal equivalent or the uh, corresponding uh, provincial certificates of qualification. So you have to meet one of those programs right off the bat. And uh, those are our initial um, eligibility um, requirements before you can even enter your profile into the pool to be ranked against all the other candidates. So just to recap, number one, you have to have a valid language test, both in terms of its validity date and in terms of the score that you have. Two, um, you have to have at least one year of skilled work experience. Three, sufficient funds based on the LICO tables that CIC has. Four, you have to meet one of the, the, the minimum qualifications for one of these programs, CEC, Federal Skilled Worker Program, or the Federal Skilled Trade. And then five, which is kind of a little bit of an add-on, because really those, that, those factors, the first four, for the most part, cover everything that you need. But I wanted to just toss on a fifth one just purely for the purposes of uh, uh, just sharing some insights with um, problems that other people have experienced that I've dealt with when it comes to um, completing this tool and then actually submitting their profile. So once you go through and if you are successful and you're found to be eligible to participate in Express Entry, then what's kicked out is, is a personal reference code. And that number um, is what you need to obtain your, um, your MyCIC account and ultimately to register um, 
to uh, to be able to submit your profile into the Express Entry portal. And so um, after you you register for your MyCIC account, and I'll, and um, and all of this information is on the website, and I'll provide it to you. But once you've registered for your MyCIC account and you've entered into that system, then you'll see an option where you can select Express Entry. And after you select that Express Entry, they'll then ask you to insert that personal reference code. And um, some of the problems that people actually, I've seen them have, is one, they they make an error when they are inserting that code. So somehow they, they type in the wrong code or they get the number uh, kind of jumbled and it's quite a complicated little little uh, number series of letters and, and, and numbers. So watch that carefully. And then I also want you to realize is that um, these personal reference codes expire. And so if I was to do it today, uh, they expire within two months. So October the, well, the October the 8th, um, I always get confused because when I'm doing these podcasts, it seems like it's always in the middle of the night. It's the only time when I actually have uh, a little bit of freedom where uh, I don't have uh, staff or clients calling me and, and my kids are in bed and, and uh, hopefully this isn't going to be a long-term pattern, but uh, it's about quarter to one um, bright and early in the morning on October the 8th. But uh, just getting back to what I was talking about, the, the personal uh, reference code is only valid for approximately two months. So pay attention to that expiry date because if you don't ultimately go through and register for your CIC, um, my CIC account and uh, start the express entry process, then if you try to enter that reference code in and it's expired, that'll explain why you're not getting to where you want to be. So those are the top five and uh, at least that I have found top five reasons why people are tripped up by this tool, even when they do the calculations manually and then they try and enter it in and it doesn't work. This is usually why. So uh, I hope that was helpful. And uh, what I'd like to do now, and I haven't done it for a little bit, is just to address some listener questions. And in particular, the one I want to talk about the most is uh, after you've received your invitation to apply, it's a carry forward of, of one of the issues that um, I guess we've discussed in the top reasons why you're deemed ineligible, and that is proof of funds. So it's possible if you don't have sufficient funds that you can be deemed ineligible, uh, both from entering your profile into the pool as well as qualifying for your permanent resident visa. So if you are uh, drawn and, and given an invitation to apply, and the category you're selected under is the federal skilled worker category, then there is a significant chance you're going to have to prove that you have that minimum LICO. But let's face it, you know, not everybody has anywhere from, you know, $12,000 to uh, over $30,000 just sitting in their bank account um, in their savings. And so when you're in that situation, uh, well, this is what leads to this, the question of this listener. So, uh, the, the listener asks, um, I have been granted an ITA through Express Entry, and the portal is asking me to provide proof of funds. I know I don't have enough to cover myself, my wife, and my two children. Can I borrow money from my father to provide the show money to qualify and to meet that um, uh, to meet that LICO? And so, um, 
So that's a question I get a lot, and I see it a lot. Can you get a loan from a family member or friend to put in your account to provide what many people commonly refer to as show money, um, but to show that you've got sufficient funds to support yourself and get you settled? Well, the answer is if you're receiving money, it must be an irrevocable gift and not a loan. So if you have had a large deposit uh, within your bank account within the previous six months, then you need to explain where that money came from. That's going to be critical. You know, because maybe sometimes when people immigrate, they, they have property in their home country and they sell that property and that gives them the funds to be able to settle in another country, that being our beautiful country of Canada. Um, and there may be other things, personal belongings that are sold that result in uh, a sizable deposit into uh, a bank account. Um, but you have to be prepared to explain that. Now, obviously, it's ideal for people to try to save a little bit of money in advance and to accumulate it and have it in the bank account uh, for over six months um, you know, prior to ultimately having to show or demonstrate it to the government. But um, if the money is obtained from family, it has to be an irrevocable gift to you. So you need to make sure that you provide evidence to support the fact that it's not just a loan that you're intending to give back as soon as you get your permanent residence because it can kill your application. You can ref- you can have all of the hard work that you put in refused, um, resulting in the refusal of your application. So be careful. So here's a few other little tips. So obviously you want to have an affidavit or other document confirmed uh, by your family members um, assuring CIC that it is indeed a gift and not a loan and that the money is not expected to be paid back. And so, um, you know, so when you're looking at the details of this uh, affidavit or other document, it really should include, just as an example, some of the following things. Uh, The date and the amount of the the funds that were transferred, uh, the account numbers and who owns the accounts. So if it was a wire transfer, um, you're going to have that reference number that will show the funds that, where they came from, their source. And uh, in all honesty, I, you know, I will at times even include a little bit more information on where the money's coming from in terms of the, 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 the financial wherewithal of the family who's giving the money to show that they actually do have the ability to share that without causing them to become destitute. And so if you've got a family who has really scraped together all of the money that they have, to produce sufficient funds to meet this this LICO um, uh, level that the government requires, well, if that family is, is basically now destitute because they've given that money away, you know, sometimes CIC will look into that as well. So you just want to avoid any, any likelihood of an overzealous officer um, just treating uh, what you're doing, at least with respect to these gifts, in a negative way. Uh, so... One of the things in addition to this statement from family is that you're going to make sure that you provide a letter explaining everything, where the money's come from, the fact that it's you know an irrevocable gift and you're very appreciative of, of your family giving it to you and whatever you want to put in there. There's no, no real form to it, but you want to make sure that, um, that whatever you do, you have that statement confirming that the gift is irrevocable and that you're providing a letter from yourself, providing background information, and then don't forget 
the essential component, which is the bank letter, which is confirming the funds in the first place. And that bank letter must contain your name and date of the statement, uh, your account number, your current balance, the average balance over the past six months, and then the date that the account was opened. So, you know, a couple additional tips. You can, you can show that, uh, you know, that funds are coming from multiple accounts and you can, you can kind of pool them together and use them collectively. So that's perfectly fine. You know, you, your spouse um, may have a, a couple different accounts. And so that's perfectly fine to compile those to meet that LICO uh, requirement. Um, and, uh, you know, in, in uh, con- conversely, if you have sufficient funds in one of your accounts, then that's the only one you need to provide. You don't need to provide, you know, letters from all of your bank accounts. Um, a couple things to remember too, on the negative side, you can't use a property valuation as proof of funds. So you'd actually need to sell the property or somehow other, or otherwise mortgage it to p- produce liquid funds. So funds that are actually available in your account to be used. So you can't just use a property valuation to say, oh, my property is worth $100,000 Canadian. Um, so I, I don't know anything on that property. And therefore I have sufficient funds to meet the LICO because I have a family with, you know, a spouse and five kids, you know, um, which is close to my family <laughs> when I think about it. Uh, we've got four beautiful children. All right. So, um, yeah, just to reiterate, you can't have borrowed funds. Uh, those funds, um, uh, loans and the like are expressly prohibited. So that, uh, I think, is probably long enough. I'm trying not to make these too terribly long. We're just about at the 30-minute mark, which is awesome. Um, I am going to provide a lot of different links within the show notes. I'm also going to um, uh, provide um, a little bit more information uh, as we go forward here through the month of October that is all targeted to express entry. And there's a reason for it. And I guess now is as good a time to share a little bit more about what I hope to do. And it's not a matter of hoping. And it's not a matter of trying. It's something that I'm actually going to do. And I can't remember the Yoda quote from, uh, I think it was The Empire Strikes Back. Uh, Do or do not, there is no try. I think that's what Yoda told. um, uh, I think it was Luke Skywalker, maybe. Anyways, that's my model. And so I am going to do this. And what I'm going to do, as I've hinted in some of my other blogs and some of my other uh, comments on my Canadian Immigration uh, podcast uh, on the Facebook page, etc., is that come November 1st, I am going to be releasing um, our very first uh, Canadian Immigration Guide on Express Entry. And that particular guide is going to be awesome. I'm going to pour into it every ounce of knowledge, information, strategy. It's going to be full of tips, everything that I can think of to help make your job of submitting your express entry profile as easy as possible. Now, this uh, guide, um, at first I thought, you know what, that's probably good enough. I'll just make it available. Uh, I will sell it at a... um, a fraction of what I would typically charge people to represent them directly as an immigration lawyer. Um, I'll sell it as a guide that people can purchase and download from my site and um, at a fraction of the cost, and that's good enough. 
But as I got thinking about it, I realized, you know what? I don't want to just create passive information alone that people take. I know it's going to be awesome. Uh, We're going to put our heart and soul into it. But I think what I really like to do and what I enjoy the most is being there for people, supporting them, seeing them go through all of the steps from the very beginning of the process all the way through to the culmination of them receiving their express entry or their permanent resident status in Canada. That is why I practice immigration law. That is the the thing that gives me the most satisfaction. And it was reinforced to me this week as some of our clients uh, obtained their landing documents and became permanent residents of Canada. Some of them, we've had a long, long road getting them uh, their permanent residence. And we've become just like family. And to be able to share and celebrate in that amazing accomplishment, um, I don't want to give up on that. So what I intend to do is to create guides for those who just want to grab the information, who are confident in what they're doing, who don't want to have to sift through you know, the Canadian Immigration Forum or some of those other uh, wonderful resources that are out there, spending hours trying to figure out what they need to do. They can go to this one site, download the guide, and it will walk them through step by step each, um, you know, all along the way uh, so that they basically don't have to waste time. And uh, I intend to do it in the form of a screencast. So I will be there demonstrating uh, exactly how you do it. And so um, the fun part of this is that on November the 1st, we are going to launch this thing, but it's going to be launched as a pilot. And I do not pretend to, um, to know every single question that people may have or areas that they might get tripped up on when they're trying to file their express entry. I've got a pretty darn good idea just based on you know, the fact that this is what I do all day helping people. But I want to learn from you. And so what I've decided to do is to reduce the cost a little bit um, for this pilot and, uh, and offer an opportunity for people to engage with me and to be a part in the creation of this for, you know, not only is it going to help them through their own process, um, but they're going to have an opportunity to be a part of the creation of this awesome guide that is going to be used, you know, by thousands of people in the future. And so um, that input is going to be invaluable. And so in exchange for people's willingness to participate in um, the first beta test of this uh, of this guide, um, they're going to have a lot more direct contact with me. And I intend to answer every question that comes at me, um, to schedule time for calls if needed, and to do everything that I would normally do when I'm helping an individual one-on-one. But uh, I'm looking right now probably uh, at, at bringing in, you know, maybe 50 people to start with to, to work through the, the process. And as I accumulate those answers and I, you know, uh, the, the questions from people and I see kind of where the sticky points are when you're trying to do it yourself, um, then I can, I'm going to take all of that and incorporate it into the final guide that is just going to be awesome. And uh, the beauty of, of, you know, the this wonderful technological world is that uh, each new version can become better and better and better and better. But um, the, the, the purpose of this, uh, creating this guide and having this initial pilot, is to help people from start all the way to, th- 
to, to the finish to getting their profile submitted. That's step one. Then we're going to release uh, part two uh, for those who have received their invitations to apply. But with that two-step process for, for these, these guides, these will be standalone guides that I will ultimately create, but then th- there will be a course that people can um, participate in, which in reality, the, the pilot will really be kind of a, a, a trial course because I'm going to be accessible to everybody and we're going to work together uh, to, uh, to see everybody get through with the submission of their, of their profile. And then we're going to do the same thing again when it comes time to filing the actual permanent resident application once an invitation to apply has been received. So I, I apologize for the rambling. I'm just so excited about it. It's going to be awesome. And I think, you know, most of you probably are aware that I have not always been uh, a lawyer, let alone an immigration lawyer. I worked on the border as an immigration officer and uh, prior to that, I was a high school teacher. So I completed my Bachelor of uh, Arts and Bachelor of Education. And um, it was really chance that I ended up going to law school versus staying as a uh, high school teacher. Um, so I see this as an opportunity with the Canadian Immigration Express Entry course to mentor, to teach, to share my knowledge, and to help people all the way through to completion of their express entry applications and to do it on a much grander scale than I could ever do one-on-one with people who come to my office. And most importantly, because my legal fees are so darn expensive, um, I'll be able to offer it at a price point that is attainable by everyone. And so the ability to influence and affect people in a positive way and to help them realize their dreams is just, it's just, I don't know how to describe it, it's given me a whole new um, excitement for what I'm doing and a passion for this wonderful area of, of the law to practice in and uh, to have even the smallest influence on people's lives uh, in helping them uh, accomplish um, you know, milestones and, and just wonderful things is, uh, is, is just going to be so incredible. So if you would like to be a part of the pilot, and you'd like to to go through this uh, this wonderful little experience, um, what I'd like you to do is go to the Canadian Immigration Podcast website. So that's uh, CanadianImmigrationPodcast.com. If you search it through Google, because it's so new, you'll probably just be taken to the iTunes uh, uh, Canadian Immigration Podcast location for these podcasts. But you go to the website.com and you can then subscribe to my mailing list. And I intend to extend an invitation to only those on my mailing list because I don't want to waste you know, people's time sending you know, these mass emails to people who don't want or are not interested in, in, in something you know, to do with Express Entry. But I'm going to send it out to all those on my, uh, on my, um, my distribution list, uh, send them an invitation to participate in this with us. And uh, I'll have a lot more details as we get a little bit closer. I've got a series of videos that are going to introduce it. And it's going to culminate in an awesome little webinar that people, uh, as many people who want to, uh, to, to, it'll be free webinar to, to learn a little bit more about the product and, and also to receive a whole bunch of free, um, helpful information, uh, whether they decide to ultimately purchase the guide or not. It doesn't matter to me. So um, that's the plan. Uh, once again, I'm sorry to, to kind of ramble on a little bit about this, but it is super exciting for me. And, um, 
and I want you to stay tuned. All right. Now, finally, just shifting a few, few, a few last little things. I want to let everybody know once again that I will be speaking at the, uh, at the uh, Canadian Institute's um, a conference that they're going to be having. Uh, I'm just looking for the date. It's October the 27th to the 28th uh, of this month in Calgary, their Immigration and International Workers Forum. And uh, you'll see in the show notes a link to that. If you're, in, if you're in Calgary during that time, I'll be doing a presentation on employer compliance as well as a, um, a workshop on labor market impact assessments. And oh boy, aren't those things lovely. So it'll be a hands-on half-day workshop where, uh, with a relatively small, small group of people. And we're going to talk about the r- details and the nuts and bolts of that program and, and how to navigate through uh, what you know, the government has really uh, created this, this nightmare and how to navigate through it as, as safe as you possibly can. Um, I'd also encourage you to leave within the comments uh, section um, any questions that you might have for our next podcast. And obviously this one we talked a little bit about uh, what you need to do when you have to receive a gift uh, to satisfy the proof of funds requirement. But if you have any other questions, everything should be geared towards Express Entry. All the blogs coming forward over this month, all of the podcasts, everything will be related to Express Entry. And um, that's everything channeling to the release uh, and the launch, really, of the Canadian Immigration um, Guide for Express Entry. And uh, I think what I'm really going to call this, ultimately, is the Canadian Immigration University. I thought it would be fitting. So the new brand will be Canadian Immigration University. And not only do I intend to create it for Express Entry, but really... Any other uh, immigration application process out there that people feel would be beneficial to have uh, a resource that they could rely on. So, so leave some questions for ne- the next week's podcast. Um, you'll be able to read the transcript of this of this podcast as well. From uh, you know, and the show notes will be available for you. You can check out past um, Canadian immigration episodes on iTunes, and I'd actually encourage you if you can. And if you, if you have the ability to take the time to, to rate this podcast, and uh, I would love it if, if you could do that. It takes a little bit of time, but it helps to, you know, the podcast to rank a little bit higher so that it gets more exposure to more people. Facebook is a wonderful thing, and I've been able to uh, uh, surpass in, oh boy, it's, it's just, just maybe a month now, we reached 1,500 likes on our Facebook page. And so I am super stoked. It is awesome. Everybody has been sharing the, the resources that we've been providing. And it has uh, it's just made it all worthwhile. I honestly didn't think, um, well, I just wasn't sure whether people would, uh, would really take to this. And uh, whether what I was trying to do would, would, would be beneficial and would be well-received by people. But uh, after seeing the, you know, just the reception and the comments and the interaction and just the positive feedback that I've been getting, there's nothing more empowering than that. So thank you so much for your support, for sharing, and please do every blog, every podcast, anything you feel is useful or would be helpful for other people who are trying to make their way through 
these various immigration programs, and in particular Express Entry, just continue to share the love. I appreciate it more than you could ever know. And, uh, and ultimately, as we go forward here, um, remember that at any time you can leave me uh, a question. I accept them through, you know, th- through some of the private feeds, you know, when questions are a little bit more sensitive. But if you can, uh, you know, at any time, if it's possible for you to leave those questions within the comment section of, of either the website or our Facebook page or LinkedIn or Twitter or however you like to connect with us, if you could put those more in the public domain, then when I answer, it will actually be of, a, of greater benefit to a larger group of people. And that's the goal here, is to create a community uh, where everyone just shares their experiences and uh, it's in a safe environment where uh, there's information that people can trust and rely on. So that is it for this, uh, this episode, uh, number five. Uh, of season one of the Canadian Immigration Podcast. I am your host, Mark Holthy, a Canadian immigration lawyer, um, teacher, and ex-immigration officer. Signing off. I'll see you again soon. Oh, Canada, greatest country
Thank you for listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, your trusted source for information on Canadian law, policy, and practice. If you would like to contribute a question for future podcasts or wish to set up a legal consultation with Mark, please visit www.ht-llp.com.